0: Father, we just thank you again for this time that you've, you know, even as Cameron just prayed, the time you've given us to gather together in one place, hopefully on one accord, but even just through your spirit, you've given us unity in the spirit, through the spirit. And Father, even tonight as we open your word, let your word be implanted in our hearts that are open to you. Father, as, as we've prayed, Lord, we want a change in life. We don't want to leave the same way. But Father, more than anything, we want to see you different. We want to see ourselves different in light of you. And Father, we want to be immersed in you, focused on you. And even just through this time in your word, God, my specific prayer is that we would live according to our spirit, our new man. Our life in Christ and not our old man, the life in Adam, the life before we got saved. So, Father, I ask you, God, tonight as we open your word, even as we talked about two weeks ago, that you would give us all a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would, as we're diving into the working of your power toward us, that you worked in Christ, God, may you unlock the, the scriptures to us, even as it says in the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, God, when Jesus opened the word to them and spoke to them in the scriptures, it says their hearts burned within them when they heard the word. Father, may we experience Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, open the word in us to us, and may it take us deeper in love for you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So appreciate you guys, you know, coming through. I know there was some confusion since we're having this event tomorrow. You know, I know people have been asking, is this a regular night? We didn't have discipleship last week. So, you know, I appreciate y'all coming through. We're going to resume discipleship again next week. We have that event tomorrow outside that I know you guys heard about. And yes, bring a coat, bring two coats bring bring a blanket if you have to sign up sheet oh volunteer sheet okay cool um but yeah anyone ready to get into Ephesians 2 anyone anyone ready you know I know I know we've been on a break but I do pray like I've said I'm not trying to beat a dead horse but I am praying that you guys are you know there's a there's a measure of you know there's a measure of accountability a measure of you know, these wor- this word, as, as insightful as it might be in Bible study, as whatever it might be in the actual service, the aim of this is to, again, give you tools to use in your own relationship with the Lord in the word and to really root us, not just in what it says tonight, but to live like this for our life. You know, the aim of this is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind but also to have the ability by God's grace when we spend time with him to find life in that place does that make sense I say this every week and I'm again I'm not going to beat a dead horse there because you guys have heard me say it and you can you know shout out again to John who made a podcast for us we have you can download our podcast tbock bible study and it's on all the apple google all that stuff so if you want to re-listen to these messages. But without further ado, we're going to do a similar pattern how we've been. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. And then we're going to break it down with the aim of, of really growing in revelation of who Jesus is. Who we are in him and what we have because of him. I know some of y'all are tired. I know some of y'all aren't even paying attention to what I'm saying right now. But regardless, God is going to have his way. Amen. Amen. So it says in verse one, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in christ jesus notice that's one sentence from verse one to verse seven that was one one period talk about a run-on sentence My God. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. So Father, again, we already prayed, but we ask you, God, to do what only you can do tonight. Father, that you would minister to our spirit. That you would wake us up on the inside. That no no one can measure that. No one can measure that by volume. No one can measure that by expression. But only on the inside. Man looks at the outward father, but you look at that heart, the spirit of man, and may you shine the light on the inside of us tonight in Jesus name amen 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 so again I'm sure most of you guys who have been raised in the church or are, are somewhat familiar with Christianity I'm 99 to 100 positive that you have heard excerpts from this text that I just read many times in your life by grace you've been saved through faith but God you know I know some of y'all say but God don't you have any idea where that is that in the, but but still it's good but my point is, we've, we're we familiar with what this says, right? But what we're not familiar with, and again, I can't speak for you, but by and large, just as as a, as a Christian, you know, as Christians, we're not familiar with actually touching this in our life. Does that make sense? So this right here, I mean, these 10 verses really are the pinnacle of Ephesians in a lot of ways. This is... Again, not to belabor the point, but if you guys were here two weeks ago, we read the prayer. We we, we walked through the prayer of Paul, the, the prayer for spiritual wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of Christ. And he, he said to know three things, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us that he worked in Christ. And even in 21, it says the same power he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead, seated him above every other entity, spiritual, natural, all that stuff. And He put all things under his feet, which is under his authority, right? And then it it trickles on to a few more things. And then he's still continuing his thoughts. So even though there's a pause at 23 and he says, "In you he made alive, he's not changing the subject of what he's talking about. Yeah, I'm recording. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, So in chapter two, verse one, a lot of times when we see the verse numbers and chapter number, we're like, okay, new thought. But the reality is this is he's in the same vein. So when it says in verse 19 of chapter one that we talked about again two weeks ago, it says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Right. He's continuing this train of thought. So he goes from 19 to 23, what he did in Christ. And then from one to 10 in chapter two, he's talking about what he did in us. Does that make sense? And it's connected to Christ. It's in Christ, it's with Christ. That's why if you read verse five, it says, "And it." you can literally, I mean, if you write in your Bible, you can literally draw an arrow from chapter two, verse five, right? Back to 120, chapter one, verse 20, because it says, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places. It says in verse five of chapter two, we were dead, when we were dead, he made us alive right, with Christ, together with Christ. And he made us sit, oh, sorry, verse six, raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together with him. That's literally a continuation of his thought from verse 20 in chapter one. You guys see that? So we know Jesus took his seat, right? We know he's up there, but, and we legally have our seat in verse six. That's that's past tense it's already been done. You can't change that once you get saved. But do we live in, do we sit in that seat? Right. Do we actually live our Christian life, our choices, the walk we walk, the way we live, how we treat other people, how we pray, how we spend time with God and even just how we spend our free time. Do we live in light of this? And my guess would be honestly be no. Honestly, I mean, and there's no shame in that. There's times where I I miss it for sure. But, you know, I'm going to get into it, you know, because I'm kind of, you know. But my point is just really wanted to say is like the aim of this again, this whole not just tonight, not just semester, but even just t exists for many reasons. But one of the main reasons is because you guys are college students. You guys maybe here one, two, three, four, maybe five. You take a victory lap a year and then you're going to your separate area of life. You know what I mean? Like This isn't. A, I mean, some of y'all can, you know, you're always welcome. You know, you could be 40 and keep coming. But. My point is, this is a short-term, as Apostle Val always says, short-term equipping for lifelong results, right? Our aim is to give you the tools needed so that after you leave Ohio State, whether you stay in Columbus or you move wherever you move, you have been taught the ways of Christ, the tools needed to prosper in every area in your spiritual life that translates to practical success in this life, but also you're rooted in humility and Christ-likeness, in the power of God, in the spirit of God, in the word of God for the rest of your life. So that way, when you leave college, you make right choices. Who am I gonna marry? Who am I gonna do this, this, this job, this career? And all these things that you're discovering now in college that will carry on with you the rest of your life. Does that make sense? And that's why this is so huge because these things are eternal truths. This is not something that, oh i I've been there I got that this is this is the heart of the gospel message. this is the heart of our faith right here. This is literally the 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 core of what we believe as Christians that separates us from everyone else this this coincides with Romans six through eight this coincides with Galatians this coincides with many, many other parts of the New Testament that talk about why Jesus went to that cross. You get what I'm saying so Again, this, but this also does require this. I'm saying this over and over again, because this also requires not just hearing this tonight. Oh, great word. Oh, this was so good. Oh, it changed my life. No, chances are, if you heard this one time, it didn't change your life. Chances are, yes, I believe in God. Who's that powerful that after one message, your life can change. But I promise you, if you do not find God, know how to find God when no one's around, your life won't change for very long. I promise you, I promise you. And the aim, again, is to make you not dependent on TBOK, not dependent on anyone, as though we're all here to help. Never Don't hear that through the wrong lens of no one's going to help you. You're on your own. But it's saying that if we make you dependent on us and not God, have we done our job? If you've got all these great mentors and great friends and great community, but you don't know God, have we succeeded? You get what I'm saying? And the reality is people, myself, even Apostle Val as 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 stable as she is, we all are people at the end of the day. All flesh is grass, and though we have as Christians have a new heart and we live according to christ people we're all people at the end of the day too right? Does that make sense so all that to say is is I want us to really continue to to dig through Ephesians together, but also. For you guys in your time with God, I'm not telling you how to do your daily devotions. I'm not telling you what to do in your prayer life. But I'm saying that, you know, even just setting aside a part of your week to just look at what we've talked about will go a long way, especially since we had an off week last week. So anyway, let's get let's let's dig into it, though, man. This is man. I, I don't to be honest with you guys, this is this is literally this 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 stuff is what people get saved on but you really never graduate from. And even me, I have a degree. I have, you know, I know the word fairly well. You know what I'm saying? But even me, on my best day to describe this, I can't even do it justice. You get, you know what I'm saying? Like this, my best effort is nothing at this because this is so beyond even human comprehension. And I'm gonna do my best, you know, to to break some stuff down. But the reality is this is designed for us in the secret place to meditate on this. And to get have encounters with God in the Scripture, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Hopefully, I'm not speaking like Spanish or something, you know, because I'm not trying to make this confusing or sound mystical or ethereal or or like only two people can do this. This is this is designed for all of us. This is all of our inheritance. All of us got saved by the same God, received the same Spirit, and we have the same access to the same Word that can transform our heart. And God is stronger than all of the forces that contribute to why we all the excuses that we can make. Does that make sense? So anyways, all that to say, I could go on, but I want to just get into it. So verse one, and we're going to make this a little interactive, but I ain't going to, you know, i ain't going to do what I've been doing. No, not quite. I'm not going to do that tonight. So don't worry. So please don't be afraid to raise your hand. I apologize if I've made anyone afraid to raise their hand in in class, so to speak. I don't want to create a culture of fear. You know, anyways, anyways, um, verse one. And you, he made alive. Let me read that one more time. These five words. And you. Everyone say you. Point to me, me. And me. He made alive. He made alive. He made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now let me, again, verse by verse. We're going slow through this. We're not skipping over this. To, we're going, we're digging. So question. How can he make you alive when you're already alive? Like me being able to read this indicated that I have life. Right? So what's he talking about here? He's not talking about creating us like Adam. He's not talking about that life. What is he saying? I saw John. Well, seems like this pastor is talking Yes. That's good. A spiritual. Again, I'm not, I ain't, I ain't yeah. correcting y'all. I ain't correcting y'all tonight. So, yes. But what is the you specifically? You. There you go. Spirit. So let me break this down before we get, before we get too deep. Man, human, man, woman, humans, people were created in the image of God, but we are again, we're one human, but we have three components, right? I have a body. What you're looking at, you're not looking at Reed. You're looking at Reed's, you know, body form, feature, right? Inside of this body lives a soul, which is your mind, your will, which is your desires, what you want, your personality, what makes you unique, you know, like, we're not all the same, so we don't all have the same interests, likes, that are, have, that are not good or evil. They're just who we are, right? You know, emotion. Did I say emotions? Mind, your will, your emotions, which are like your feelings, right? How you feel, you know, your past experiences shape those, right? And that's valid because it's your soul, right? Mind, will, emotions. So your thoughts come from your soul, it's also gonna drive highlighter cap. We'll, we'll get it. That um, You know what? I'm just gonna get it. Yeah, I'm just gonna. Uh, I saw you look at it twice. Now you get it. You get it. This is Bible study. We ain't ain't official. Um. So anyway, soul, mind, will, emotions, right? Your personality, all that's housed in your soul, right? That that's that's the. It's inner you. It's part of your inner man. That's why it says your outer man is perishing. Your inward man is being renewed day by day. So it's referring to the soul component is being renewed. That's why it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's your soul. That, your mind is a faculty of your soul, right? Yeah. That's why when even Jesus said, love the Lord, all oh, your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength, your heart refers to the whole inner man, your soul and your spirit. But then soul, mind, and stre- or soul, mind and strength refers to that soul realm. Does that make sense? The, 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 the aspect where the choice even comes from, that's your soul, right? But then the you, Paul is touching here. So your soul, though the Holy Spirit can quicken aspects of your soul, you still have a renewing journey that you have to go on on this life and people call it sanctification. The process of being made holy, of being made like Jesus. That's why Paul said in Romans, we're all predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and he talks about justification sanctification and glorification which are fancy theological words for you get justified in your spirit sanctified deals with the soul glorified deals with one day after jesus comes back the resurrection from the dead when you get a glorified body right and I'm saying in scripture to even, even validate that man's a three-part being. I'm not just pulling that out of the air. There's a scripture in First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It says, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord, right? So that's Paul breaking down man the same way God is father, son, and spirit, man, spirit, soul, body. But we're one person. So There are times in the Bible where the you, when he says you, it refers to everything. There are other times when in the Bible, the you, it doesn't refer to your body. It refers to your spirit. Does that make sense? So right here is one of those instances where Paul is saying in you. He's saying your spirit, you through the spirit, your spirit, he made alive. The King James says he quickened, right? So the word, Alive. It means to invigorate. It means to fill with life and vitality, right? So this is a spiritual. You ever heard of the word spiritual awakening? Or even how Paul said the eyes of your heart being enlightened. You know, it's, he's he's speaking to people that are saved, but the 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 light permeates out of their spirit into their soul, so that they can have that revelation. Revelation is when what's in your spirit gets revealed to your soul. Does that make sense? And again, I'm again. Some people can get crazy. When I say crazy, maybe OCD is a better word about distinguishing between spirit, soul, and body to the point to where they're correcting folk for addressing the wrong entity of. And the reality is, we're people. We are. We are one person, right? But again, in in in, in the in the concept of salvation, they call it the word of soteriology, which is the study of salvation. You know, biology, the study of life, soteriology, the study of the soul, salvation, being saved, right? In these concepts, it is man is divided to break down what happens at a, I guess, molecular level, spiritual level, when Christ, what Christ has done, right? In what age of time the salvation will be realized. Because you can say it like this. I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved, my spirit has been saved. Even in the age to come, my spirit will not change. I've been given the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ lives in me. You can't do better than that, right? I'm not going to get a more new and improved one of those in the age to come, right? And the spirit is also eternal. So he lives outside of time. So time is not subject to him. Therefore, he's not bound by time. And that, that entity, him, he lives in us, which is crazy, It's like, how do you not blow up after you receive the Holy Spirit? How can this body house the glory of God? Remember we talked about glory a couple weeks ago? It's like, he lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said that they may behold my glory, which you've given to me that I've given to them, right? Where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so my spirit's not gonna change. However, my soul right now is being saved or sanctified, which means there is a, there is a, journey of growth as a Christian to where our, that's why Paul talks about, when we talk about spiritual warfare, so many people, they're trying to name the devil in California and making them go sin. When in reality, in in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, he's talking about strongholds. These demonic strongholds are actually belief systems that come by your mind agreeing with lies through most of the time, your past trauma before you got saved or even present experiences of disappointment as a believer that cause you to agree with lies that are not true, that are not the nature of God. Therefore, you have faulty paradigms and that all can be changed through cast, you know, what it says in Second Corinthians 10, which you can read on your own time, but casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts something against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ, Right? Romans 12, renewing the mind. Again, that's that's the transformation aspect that we have in this life that we go on. And that's why two people can get saved at the same time and move at a faster pace toward God. One of them moves faster than the other because it's really they've just agreed with the process of sanctification. Right? But legally, they're the same. Nothing changes in, in, in the legal sense. And then obviously your body. Right? And... You know, obviously, this, the body, most, a lot of people think the body's evil. That's not the case. The body has been programmed by our old man, the, ins, the old inside impulses to do evil. So it has been trained to do wickedness. But God gave us a new heart. So a lot of people said, oh, yeah, God knows your heart. And another one's like, yeah, but it's deceitfully wicked. Well, that's actually, if you're a believer, that's not true. Your old man, yeah, for sure, you were deceitfully wicked. You were so wicked, you deceived yourself thinking you were good, deceitfully wicked. But... The new man, he said he'll give you a new heart. And the new covenant promises, I write in them, I give them a new heart, in which in that new heart, I write on it the law of God. So a lot of preachers and people say, oh, you know, you can't trust yourself because your heart's wicked. Well, no, you can't trust yourself if you're living in the flesh. But in the spirit, God actually, through your new heart, gives you godly desires and impulses to follow the leading of the spirit. Does that make sense? Anyways, I know we're camping on verse one a lot, but this is important to lay this foundation Because Paul is speaking truth and, as y'all say, facts to the spirit of man, to these people who got saved, right? It's like this. So many people. And again, I don't know. Some of you guys I don't know. I really, I can't prove where any of you guys stand, you know, before the Lord. It's not my job to make sure you're saved. My job is to preach the gospel, to preach the word. And you have to interact with God on your own. That I am not God. I can't force anyone to serve God. Does that make sense? So it's not my job to manipulate you into serving God. It's my job to tell you the truth according to the word, right? And to tell you the reality of what happens when you get saved. So, so I say all that to say is that through the spirit, God is called, the, the, the theological term again is called regeneration. Notice you see the root word of Genesis, generate to begin. He gave you a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, this is, the, this is what happens with many of you guys in this room who I do know, and I'm not saying currently you're here. But so many of you guys have received true justification. You have received new life in Christ. You are, as the Bible says, saved, born again, justified freely. Whatever word you want to use to equate with salvation. But because you lack understanding of what Jesus truly did, because you lack understanding of the differences of the covenants we're under in that from the old and the new. Some of y'all live in like Old Testament Jews when you're a New Testament Christian and there are two completely different covenants with Hebrews that are different and the new one has better promises. Mm-hmm. My point is so many of you guys are at a place where though you love God, you've been changed by God, you have a zeal for God, a desire to know him and serve him, but you still live under the law, you're legalistic and you also live as if he didn't do this for you. And you have all these behavior modifications which are necessary when you're riding training wheels on your bike, right? You got the training wheels on still when the whole point of the grace of God and the liberty through the spirit is meant to set you free. So you're, you're technically legally free and you're not sinning in the sense that we would consider sin, maybe, but you're still living locked up and bound and you're in your own prison in your own heart, but you lay, raise your hands at church. But the reason why you raise your hands at church is really more because maybe one time you raise your hands by God's grace because you experience God in a new way. But now you're raising your hands to get that back. And those are two completely different reasons why you raise your hand. How can you get back a gift that was already given to you? God is not, as they say, an Indian giver. You guys know what that means? It means that's an expression that comes from, like, for instance, I give Jaisha my water bottle and, you know, I'm really happy to bless her with this gift. But then, you know, I noticed I don't have water. So I'm like, yo, give me back that water. So I gave her a gift and then I took it back. So now she doesn't, she had the water and now she doesn't have the water. And that's how so many of y'all treat salvation. That's why so many of y'all still go into the altar to get saved. And it's not doing anything because, You don't get unsaved, resaved, saved, saved, unsaved, resaved. You don't get, you get one, as I say, I say it all the time, you get one born again experience. You get one born again experience per life. Now, if you are someone who has not been truly saved, according to the Bible, you've not been born again. You've not been regenerated, justified, washed, cleansed. That's an invitation to get saved. But once that happens, you get that one time. And many of you guys live with this helter-skelter lack of a better word, approach with God to where I'm doing good. I don't sin, so I'm saved. I sin, I'm unsaved. I need to repent to get saved. And you're literally probably driving yourself crazy, driving me crazy just thinking about that, <laughs> how that, that, that works. And then, oh God, I'll never do it again. Now you're making vows before the Lord when the Bible says don't even swear. like your yes be yes, your no be no. You're making vows before the Lord in a high moment Spiritually, and then two days you're doing the same thing you said you'll never do again. Driving now, now you're in a deeper pit of condemnation. And now it's even harder to pray, harder to worship, harder to serve the Lord. And now you're really moving out of duty, but you're still faking it for the church people, right? Am I in anyone's business? Am I in anyone's business? Telling read half the truth of what you're really going through because you don't want to expose the full truth. So I'm giving you half truth based counsel. Based on what you said you were doing. But really, you're not even doing that. You're doing way worse. So I'm giving you half the counsel. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But you get what I'm saying, though. But my point is, my point is this. It's funny. It's real. But it's not meant to be normal. The reason why it's normal is honestly because of bad interpretation of the Bible. That's the root of all this, because we really don't know who we are and what we actually believe. And we're not rooted in the new covenant in Christ. We say this stuff. Oh, the grace of God. But we're living under the law. Oh, God, is so good. But you're not actually encountering his goodness on a daily basis. <laughs> we're just little robots that have been programmed to use Christian jargon at this point. Oh, praise the Lord. Why are you praising the Lord? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, my point is we have been trained mechanically by language, which is, again, neither good nor bad. It's good. We, we, we have to have a culture of faith in the word of God. Y'all know I'm in, I'm, in the, I'm in the word. I'm not saying don't speak the word of God, but I'm saying that we have been programmed to live the Christian life from the external, and we're always motivated by someone else telling us we should or should not do things, and that's essentially the same thing as the Ten Commandments, and that is the base of our faith. And it's not driven by inner spirit of God shining light. Some of you guys honestly might not even be truly saved. And I'm not saying this to scare you, but I'm saying that you, your behavior has been modified by a preacher or by people telling you what you should and should not do. And because you desire to be a moral Christian, you do the right things, but it's not motivated by Jesus. You get what I mean? Why do you think on that day many will come to him on that day, and they'll profess his lordship, and even give him their resume of the works they did for him? And you can cast out demons in an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is present, and you don't even need to have the Holy Spirit. In that sense, you get what I'm saying. So my point is, he said, "I never knew you." Why? Because you never got on the inside of you. You're doing everything extrinsically motivated, meaning externally driven not inwardly by the Lord. So a lot of times this is what happens with a lot of us. And again, I'm not saying like accountability groups aren't healthy, they are. I'm not saying putting a filter on your computer so you don't look at porn. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's, that's bad because it's better than obviously doing it. But that's not the end goal. Does that make sense? So many of y'all praising God, you got a filter on your computer. So, and you got all these buddies checking in with you to make sure you're not looking at that filth. But you're still the same person that was looking at it. You had Nothing about you changed. You just put in safeguards that modify your behavior. You are not any different. And then you think victory equals I went two weeks without doing this. Therefore, I'm victorious. When in reality, your heart is still just as dead as before, for lack of a better word. So yes, that's why the Bible says in Galatians, when I was under the law, the law was the school, the King James schoolmaster to bring it like, like literally like elementary school teacher to bring us to Jesus. But when we are in Christ, we are no longer under a tutor, which is the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, not so we can live lawless in the sense of amoral or immoral. He fulfilled the law so that we can be liberated to have the God who fulfilled the law in us. So we can, in our heart, live according to God's pleasure, will, and delight. Does that make sense? But some of us have these And again, I know I'm only on verse one and I know, but I'm making a point. This all is related to verse one and you, he made alive who were dead. This is all the past tense. You were dead. You were dead over here in this old life before Jesus, BC, right? In your own BC history, you were dead. Now you are alive. Meaning your spirit is was non-existent, dead, null and void. Did not exist in the sense of live. And God, through Christ, made that light, the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says First Corinthians six seventeen. I'm giving y'all scriptures because it's you know it. Like I said, I can't even do this justice. My explanation is as good as I can do, but even it's beyond even what I'm saying. First Corinthians six seventeen says, "He who has been joined to the Lord." is one spirit within the same way a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his life and the two shall become one the same way is your spirit and God's spirit become one. It's why it takes being intimate with God to keep the connection alive. But that's a whole nother point. My point is saying that the Holy spirit resurrected your spirit from the dead and you are now alive in Jesus. Right. And it says this you, he made alive last thing and again let me just pause one more time so again i'm not i don't like giving methods in terms of like how you should pray or how you should see god because one jesus didn't really do it two everyone i i recognize and acknowledge everyone has their own relationship with god their own secret place their own whatever word you want to call your own relationship with the lord so i'm not going to put what me and god do on you because that might work for me but i'm not going to project that on you at the same time something that might be helpful there are tips, there are pointers, there are just things you can draw, like there's these five words, and you he made alive, like when you're spending time with God, if you're hopefully in Ephesians at some point, meditating on this this phrase, it's not even a whole sentence, it's not even a whole verse it's literally a third of a verse, but you break that up into a phrase, and you he made alive, and then literally write it down or just like even put your Bible down, write that down, and just meditate on that, and you. He made alive. And say that to, Lord, thank you, you made me alive. But then like, like turn it into a prayer, but also think about what you're saying. He made you alive. So then that, that leads to questions. When did he make you alive? Right? We just read stuff and we're like, oh yeah, thank you, God, you made me alive. But we're not even considering the implications of what we're saying. And you, he made alive. What is the me you made alive? I was alive before you came into my life. I was physically breathing. I didn't get saved till I was 20 or however old I was, right? So I was clearly alive before I was alive. That also can indicate that people who are not saved are the walking dead spiritually, not even in a disrespectful sense, but in a legal sense of (coughs) their spirits are dead, yet their bodies are alive. So they can walk, but they can't find him right? Which is why it's important to share our faith, but also give them the right Jesus to believe on. Anyways, that's a whole tangent. But it says, and you, he made alive. And now the next phrase is, he made alive. Meaning, I didn't get saved when I confessed Jesus as Lord. Because there's nothing I did to make myself alive. It was no act of my own ability. I did not save myself. I did not make myself alive. I had no power in saving myself, right? I mean, we would all agree with that statement, I hope, I mean, as Christians. Why then are we trying so hard to keep ourselves saved if we didn't even contribute in making ourselves saved? And when I say keep ourselves saved, I'm not talking about staying in your words, staying in prayer. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about we're so, con- we wanna control every aspect. And when we slip and fall off the path, we're so quick to just forget everything we knew of God and just go into this panic mode that shows we're not rooted in the truth of his word. If he saved you, he saved you. That means you did not save yourself. That means when you have a bad day, you do not lose your salvation. We live like, you know, that uh, I think the movie, y'all are probably way too young for this, but the, I think it's the little rascals. And like the guys that she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me. And he picking the little, the, he's picking the little things off the flower. He loves me. He loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. That's how many of us view our walk with God It's all completely self-centered based on our performance. And that could argue that, again, we're living according to our flesh or we've never actually tasted and seen in the first place. Probably the first one, but it could be the second. Anyway. Last point before I move on to verse two. That is why, like, for instance, when Paul says, walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, we could even couple verse two and it It says, in which you once walked, they were walking according to the wrong spirit, right? It says, in which you once, once walked according to the course of this world, which pattern of the world, the way the world is, you operated yourself under the world. That's why, if I could be frank, Ohio State is probably going to hear me. You know, have cancel me or whatever, but I can't be canceled. I don't have anything to cancel on my profile. I don't have no profiles to cancel. I'm uncancelable, right? Can't cancel the subscription. Yeah. Anyways, 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 anyways. Let's pray for our brother, our dear brother Gabe. And I could get specific in my prayers, but I'm gonna keep them. Between me and the Lord, but anyway, 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 right. let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this cultural, <laughs> cultural issue. And again, I'm not trying to be taboo or have any hot topics, but in like the seventies, eighties society considered well, people are like society, but no, but society, so- they consider homosexuality a mental illness, society, the world, the same world that now promotes it. The same world now tells, and again, I'm not even making political comments right now. I'm just saying how history in this world has operated. The same world that is trumpeting all of these things, pick your social justice issue you're passionate about. The same world that is now trumpeting all of them were the same ones that violated all the things they're trumpeting probably less than 100 years ago, right? And praise God for, you know, growth in some area. But my point is, When you walk according to the course of this world, your values will only be what the world tells you is correct, which means you have no backbone in the scripture, which means you have nothing to stand on. You're on sinking sand because everything, especially in postmodern culture, post-Christian culture, everything now is based on relativity. So however I feel, whatever I think, that's my truth. You can't tell me my truth. I can't tell yours. And and, and, and technically that's true in the sense, like no one can force anyone to do anything, but, My point is, when you walk according to the course of the world, there's nothing to root yourself on. That could change like the wind. So, so many of y'all walking according to the course of the world, you're following the same trends, the world trends on what is popular, what is relevant, what is emphasized. You get what I'm saying? That's what it means to walk according to the course of the world. It's not just saying, oh, you dress like the world, which could, I mean, could be a part of it. But it's really mostly saying, like, the value system the world embraces at present time, you embrace that same value system because the world embraces it. Now, there's some overlap, obviously, and there are some things we have as the church have to obviously learn. But I'm making a point. The motivation for embracing values comes from the world, the culture, the society. Makes sense. Next point. So one We were shaped, we walked according to the world. Remember last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the word walk means conducting ourselves. We lived according to, right? We walked according to the course of this world. And then the next one is according to the prince of the power of the air. That's specifically referring to the devil, right? The devil, specifically. The prince, and a lot of people, they're preaching on the specific name, the prince of the power of the air. But it's really just a, a, a reference for the devil. That's really what Paul's saying. And It says the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The reason why we had a dead spirit, right, is because we were children of disobedience. So we were dead in sin because we were married to the enemy, the devil. That's what it means to be in Adam. Adam, when he ate that fruit with Eve, Eve ate it, gave it to Adam. He ate it as well. They traded that authority, that dominion, and gave it to the serpent. Therefore, all of offspring, that's why God said, in the day you eat of it, you'll die. Well, he didn't die that day, right? His spirit, there you go. I heard, I think Trinity said, your spirit died. When Adam sinned in that garden, his spiritual man died instantly, but his physical man lived on. The same thing Adam lost in the garden, Jesus restored to us. So when he says, in you, he made alive, he's going back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell and they lost their spiritual connection to God. They fell. He's saying, I fixed that. In you, he made alive. The image has been restored. Does that make sense? But... When you are not saved, and it says right here, when you're in the world, you're walking according to the wrong spirit. So when Paul says walk in the spirit, he's saying walk in the Holy Spirit, right? Because what does it say in First John 5, 19? It says the whole world lies under the sway of the devil. And notice he uses the word sway because it indicates a pendulum of change. That's why I'm talking about this changing, all this changing stuff. It's because it's really... And again, a lot of times we think, oh, we're in the worst culture to ever live. To be honest with y'all, all this stuff we're seeing now, even the transgender stuff, has been on display before. There is nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Like, and to be honest with you, if you really study like ancient Near Eastern history and you study some of this even New Testament, early church history and like, what was going on in those times, even a lot of these epistles were written in these contexts of cities, These Gentile cities like Ephesus and Corinth and, you know, all that. And again, there's some obviously wicked stuff, but it. a lot of times we think because we're alive now, we live in the worst generation. No, I mean, there's some every generation got its own crazy stuff. Just take my word for it because I don't want to give you a history lesson right now. I want to get in this word. But notice it says who now works in the sons of disobedience. You're a child of someone, right? Obviously your parents. But it's like, that's why it's called, again, this is where it does get sober. If you're not a child of God, because that's the thing, most people think everyone's a child of God. Well, first of all, that's incorrect. That's incorrect according to the scripture. Now we're all made made by God and God does love us all equally because God is love. God can't, by nature of God, love someone less than someone else. Mm You feel what I'm saying? So it's like there's an argument saying God doesn't love people that aren't saved. That's foolishness. Because they use one scripture in Malachi saying, Jacob, I love Esau, I hated, which is referring to election according to grace, which Paul teaches in Romans, which has nothing to do with how God feels about people, right? My point is, God loves everyone the same. Side note, God doesn't trust everyone the same, but that's another conversation. God loves everyone the same, but not everyone is saved. And it's not because Jesus didn't die for all people. It's because people have not placed their faith in Jesus, right? And that's why it's on us to share the gospel, to represent Jesus, to love one another, so that the witness of Christ goes forth, the fragrance of Christ goes forth. And it doesn't mean we condemn people to hell or that we beat people over the face with a Bible trying to evangelize them. Because again, as I said, people have to make their own decision to get saved, because if they're saved because you led them to Christ or because you got them to get saved, then you've got to keep them. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Only God can save someone. You can get them to come to church. You can share the gospel. You can pray for them. But they have to make their own decision. The same way you had to make your own decision. You get what I'm saying? So, my point is though, he's saying here, when you weren't saved, you were a son or a daughter of disobedience. Your heart, it says, I mean, this is where the scripture gets hard truths. It says that the flesh is hostile in Romans towards God. Mm-hmm. It says that the unrenewed mind, the carnal mind, is, is an, make you an enemy of God. And that's why it says don't love the world. It's talking about your allegiance to the world and your love of the Father not being in you because of the fact that you're in the world. And God and the world do not coexist in that sense. Jesus loved the world. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. But in terms of covenant agreement with the world, Jesus he said the world has nothing in me. So he went in the world, but the world didn't get in him. Does that make sense? He was separate from the world. So anyways, it says this in three, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So now he's detailing how the old man, how, the, how, how, how people operate that aren't saved or people that are saved that aren't living, you know, right? But it's like you're conducting yourself in the lust of your flesh. It's talking about how the flesh Works by lust, and it's not just sexual lust, but it is. That's the main food, and sexual urges are the main lusts. But it's also just referring to just this impulse-controlled living. You have an urge, you have to fulfill it, and you're not satisfied until you fulfill it. Only to realize that that urge, that satisfaction, didn't even fully come. So you got another urge, and you got to feel that other urge. That's like the same equivalent of being addicted to a drug or being. It's an urge that cannot be satisfied. That's the flesh. That's how we all live before Jesus. That's why you can't be condemning people addicted to stuff because the reality is we were all addicted to self and we were all in the flesh and we all governed this way before Jesus. Does that make sense? And when I say the word flesh, what do I even mean by the word flesh? Again, I'm not gonna, you know, open up for questions right now. But the word flesh means you're governed by your five senses. What you smell, what you hear, what you see. But you take, you know, all the I forget the other sense. Sight I think I said that. But so what? Uh, someone said something else. But the five senses, y'all know the five senses. My point is so many of us, again, not to beat a dead horse again, but like so many of us as Christians are getting getting taught to again modify our flesh. Right? Look away. Oh no, don't look like you know, and there, again, a wisdom. Paul even said to Timothy, flee you lust. I get it. So, but, and I'm not saying that you should be, I'm not saying thank you. I'm not saying you should be unwise in how you conduct yourself. And we all have to be honest with where we're at. So this is not me saying go sin because you ain't have the training wheels up anymore. But What I'm saying is there is a place that God wants to take myself, all of us to, that we're not governed by behavior modification in essentially asceticism which is like beating up our flesh to not be in the flesh it says in romans eight if you live according to the flesh you will die this is 12 and 13 but if by the spirit you by the holy spirit they actually the translators are confused with is it the holy spirit or your spirit the reality is it's both because we're one with him anyway but it's by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live he's talking to believers that are legally alive telling them that they feed their flesh and they live according to the flesh, their spiritual vitality will wither. But if by the spirit, by them praying in their spirit, by them spending time with God, that's why I emphasize the secret place. That's why I emphasize what you do in private. That's why I emphasize meditating on the word because these are all means to get your spirit engaged with God. A lot of times all this external stuff, that's really your soul with God. And it's only real if the spirit is producing that. And that can't be manufactured by any any other human. Does that make sense? So, amen, amen. That was a strong, that was a strong, I, I like that. I felt that, I felt that. So, that's right, amen. That's good, because I actually just forgot where I was at. So, um, but y'all get what I'm saying. I'm about to move on, because we do got to wrap this up. And I didn't mean to spend this much time here, but I really do pray, because some of you guys are honestly, too, are in Christian timeout. Thinking you're going to get free by putting yourself in time out. When that's like making you even more farther from God. And actually giving you a very unhealthy paradigm of, of your father. Of God as father. Of God as who he is. Does that make sense? Anyway. This is where it turns. The but God. You know, some of y'all saying but God. But y'all don't even know what was after the but God. But anyway. It says, but God. Who is rich in mercy. Abundant in mercy. You can write this down for Mercy. The Greek word, it literally translates mercy. It also translates kindness. And It also translates his goodwill, his good. Like so many of us think God just bailed us out. And now that we're we're walking with him, the relationship we have with him is just, he's always nitpicking everything we do. And the Holy Spirit isn't our comforter. He's not our, our companion, as the Bible says, our paracletos. He's our, really are just like, I don't even know how to say it. Just finger point. Like he just points his finger at us. And there is a measure of correction as a believer. There is a measure of conviction of a, as a believer. But many, so many of us as Christians, we spend way more time. The Holy Spirit convicts us way more than communes with us. And my argument would be that ain't the Holy Spirit. One of the two. Because if you're not communing as much as convicting, that's not how, that's not it. That's only producing an unhealthy view of God. That's putting on God, an Old Testament God, and you giving that bowl at that altar to sacrifice again. You know how they had to bring a bowl or a lamb or a calf or a pigeon or a turtle dove. They had to bring it to the altar. And every time they did something, they had to give that bowl right to the altar. Forgetting Jesus is the lamb. If he's the lamb, why are you going back to the altar? And that's why even me, honestly, sometimes there's even our language come to the altar. Yes, it says present your body. You are the sacrifice in that sense. But sometimes our language of like altar call. It's like, no, no, no. The altar has a lamb on it that was slain one time. So I don't have to essentially, so I don't have the wrath of God on me. He bore that wrath and I got mercy. He became the curse. So I get the blessing of Abraham. That's, what, that's the whole point. It's a beautiful exchange, a great exchange. And so many of us live like that exchange didn't happen. Because the reality is the power to live holy, to live free, to live pure, to live righteous, comes from drawing on the power in the Holy Spirit that exists in the grace of God, that exists in the new covenant. And so many of us were expecting to get the Holy Spirit to bless us living under the old covenant system in our mind. But the Holy Spirit, there's only a measure. That's what it says. You got the Moses system. And that's why so many of us are dependent on the pastor to be Moses. Because we're living under the law. And sadly, a lot of times people want us to live under the laws, make us dependent on them. I'm not saying that every time. But a lot of these church cultures, people perpetuate the Moses cycle on purpose. And they try to control people's behavior to such a way that it makes you dependent on them. And that's why you got these movements, people asking... Asking, calling their pastor straight up like dad and asking if they can like, asking if, if, if I could even, do I have your permission to take this job? You know what I'm saying? Like, like to the like obsession to the point of like, but that's because they're living under Moses. They're doing the same thing, you know? So anyway. But God, I'm almost done, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you, which with you loved us. Are y'all good? Gabe, I'm being serious, man. I'm not trying to be Mr. Tough Guy, but like, we're talking about the the grace of God, man, the love of God. And, you know, I understand y'all having fun, and I'm happy for that, but, you know, this is is serious stuff, and I don't want laughing to distract us from, from the word. All right? Amen? Amen. It says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, again, let's pause. God who is rich in mercy. Now, the, so he's saying who he is, he's full of mercy, which is a positive attribute of favor extended towards us. And it says his motive because of his love, his great love with which he loved us. That's what put the nails in his hand. That's what took Jesus to that cross. That's what caused the father to even allow that to happen to the son because of his great love with which he loved us, even When we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now we'll be done after this. And it says in six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us when we were dead in sin, He made us alive together with Christ. Now let's camp here. When did he make you alive together with Christ? What does it say right before? When we were dead in sin. To me, that's the definition of resurrection. When someone was dead, something made it alive. That's a resurrection. So when you were dead in sin, God made you alive. That's a spiritual resurrection. You got resurrected. So why it says we were buried with him in baptism through death and raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's Colossians 2, baptism. But it's the act of this. So when it says we were dead together with Jesus, when did we die? Oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. When did we die? Because a lot of times say, oh, like for me, for instance, in 2012, I got saved. That's true, of course, that's my perspective of when it occurred. But I got saved 2,000 years ago. So when it says, I've been united into his death, that's literally saying, like, think about it. how is that even possible? Because a lot of people, especially in our generation, we wanna figure things out, and then I'll trust. And that's Thomas' faith, but still. My point is, Jesus gave Thomas proof after he, <coughs> after he said, I've gotta see it. He still showed him the holes. The, so Jesus doesn't run from tough questions that have verified proof. This is my last point. But it's like, how is that even possible? How can I be united to a death that occurred literally in time 2,000 years ago? It was because the force that united me lives outside of time. It's not bound by time, nor does time have any say so in the matter. And that's why it's my spirit that he's talking about here because it's timeless. Does that make sense? How old is the Holy Spirit? That's right. What is it? What is time to God? God made time. Time dwells in God. We dwell in time. Time encompasses our life. Time dwells in God. It doesn't even make sense to our minds. But that God is who saved us. That's how we literally, by the Spirit, were mystically, if I could use the word, we're taken back two thousand years to a death that we were not there for physically. But that's why it says in Christ, we were in him. And when we said yes to him, he made us alive in him, in him. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. We are in his body. So when you talk about the body of Christ, so many people think of either a building or an organization. Even I think one of the acronyms for TBOC is the body of Christ. It has been so many TBOCs, man, so many acronyms. I don't even know which one we're, we're sticking with right now. My point is, we're in his body. We've been joined to his death. 2,000 years ago, we've been joined to his resurrection three days later. And now we have the same spirit in us that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're saved. So if you're not living by the spirit, you're either not saved or you're not aware of what you have. Two, only two possibilities. If you are bound by sin or even the enemy, there's only two possibilities of why that is. You're either not saved at all, and you've just been faking it going to church. And that could very well be, because in America, we get half gospels. Or, and you've not, you know, humbled yourself and actually repented. Or, you are ignorant of who you are and what you have in Christ, like these Ephesian believers who are sincere but ignorant. And that's why it's like, this is serious. You know what I mean? This is, even though we've read this probably a million times, we've, you know, done our devotions with this scripture. I'm sure the Bible app had some measure of Ephesians pop up at one point. But, like, this stuff never, this is timeless. Even these words on this page live outside of time because they're spirit, they're spiritually born. And it says, when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. That goes back to point one. And you, he made alive. Meaning there was no involvement of humans, of me. Contributing to my salvation, you may argue, well, I said yes. Okay, so your will was somewhat surrendered, I guess you could say, right? Well, my point is, even, even sometimes our teaching is like, oh, I got to die to myself to get God. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But sometimes we can think, die to yourself is a work I have to do to get something, does that make sense? I'm not trying to be too nuanced. But it's like, that's not technically true. When you place faith in Jesus, his death became your death. And a lot of people in the name of dying to self don't, aren't, don't understand the gospel. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay because he was motivated by his love for us. He said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world that through him, we would be saved. Right? He was motivated. The father and the son were motivated by love. And it was love, as that song says, that kept the nails in his hand. It was love that caused him to say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It was love. And not just worldly love that says, I love pizza or I love food or I love football. It's love That is the Bible calls agape love, which is self-sacrificing, self-surrendering love. And in our response to encountering our love, that is where the surrender occurs. (coughs) Does that make sense? Missionaries who died as martyrs and gave their lives away was because they tasted and seen for themselves of Jesus. They were not compelled by a sermon telling them, if you don't give your life away, you're a bad Christian. You see how you could do two of the same behaviors, but the wrong motive and you get you don't get Christ with one of them. The missionaries who lost everything already had everything. They had nothing to lose. Because if you have Christ, what don't you have? What don't you have if you have Jesus? Does that make sense? But the reason why so many of us are so shaken by so many trials and by so many things in in our life is because we're not aware of who Jesus really is. And we're not aware of what we have in Jesus. And we're probably not even living under the new covenant for real. And... And my time is up, but I just want to give us a couple applications. And I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to preach on them. And we did end a little early, so we do actually have time. Praise praise the Lord. But again, notice in Ephesians, up to this point, we're at 10. I only got to 6, going on 7. And I pray y'all do read this on your own time, because we don't always have time to get through every single verse and walk it through. But... You know, in Ephesians, we're already on verse 10 of the second chapter. And Paul hasn't told them one thing to do yet. You notice that? You notice that this, like, because imagine, like, this was actually a real re- letter r- written to real people in a real setting, in a real time. And they're reading a letter from Paul, and they're unveiling all the things he's saying. And they're just like, okay, but what are we supposed to do? And, like, he's literally still hitting them with just smacking them with truth. He hasn't told them to do one thing yet. He's writing, essentially, the unspoken application in this part before we get to, in 4 through 6, how to live, is reflect on these things. Like, if this is the only time you're thinking about Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you're not going to get anything out of this Bible study. You're not going to get anything out of this Bible study. You know, and of course, I you know, we want you to come. I'm not saying don't come if you're not getting anything. But I'm saying, like, it, it's not, like, me preaching this isn't magically going to make it happen in your life. And why is that? Because it cheapens relationship. It's like God wants a relationship. And and he speaks a language. His language is his word. Prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. And the language that God speaks is his word. We have to get his word off the page and into our prayer life so that we can encounter God through the word and that we can know him deeper through the word. And that's where revelation in his word is born. You get what I'm saying? And that's how it works. So first thing is, You know, reflect on these things in your own time. Second, I think I touched it, but pray. Let me just give you an example again. Verse one, and you, he made alive. I'm putting this on the podcast, so if you're confused with what I mean by praying the scripture, this is what I mean. You know, and sometimes it helps me, like I said, to write down the phrase on a separate piece of paper and then put my Bible like over here so I'm not looking at it, so I'm not reading through I'm not saying I don't read your Bible. I'm saying at this moment, I'm not trying to read scripture for volume. This is my last point, Apostle Val. Then we'll be done. So I write this down. No, I know. I just wanted to tell you that I'm, I know you give me the one minute. But it says this. It says, and you, he made alive, right? So, and you can even write this down right now if you want. But it's like, I'll write that down, this phrase. And I, I at that point, I put my Bible over here. And again, this isn't telling you you have to do it this way. This is just the way I do it sometimes, not even all the time. <coughs> And i 'll have a pen, maybe, and it 's just usually I use a piece of paper like this, honestly, and it 's just on a blank piece of paper, and then i 'll literally just in prayer i 'll sit or i 'll do whatever, however you pray, and I say, "God, thank you that you made me alive and i 'll say it a few times like again, it's not a religious like do this five times it's not that it's just like as i 'm trying to connect with the Lord i 'm using the Word in my prayer, and I literally before I like ask God to do anything in my life, I always try to thank Him, and not just for A house or a car but like actually like these spiritual blessings too like because this is one of the spiritual blessings that Paul's alluding to that we talked about in the first week and you he made alive so God thank you and I make it a you know I don't say thank you God you and you he made alive. I don't read it back to God I change it to make me the subject now God thank you because he's saying you so that means me so God thank you that you made me alive and I'll literally say that and then sometimes just think I don't even say it out loud but I think about it I'm like, thank you, God. You made me alive. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And sometimes it just hits you different. Even now when I'm praying, I'm actually like, it's hitting me. Like, thank you, God. You made me alive. And then that's where the revelation is born. Like... When you are in that place, when your eyes are closed, and you're before the Lord, and it's just you and him, and you're confessing the scripture, praying the scripture over yourself, telling your father, thanking him for what he's done for you in a spiritual sense, not just for money, not just for a house, not just for a spouse, not just for a car, not just for clothes, but you're thanking him that he made you alive in Jesus. He's going to unlock that in your heart, and you're going to experience God through the pages. And you can, and again, this is just one, this is five words of the first verse. And you're literally, thank you, Jesus, that you made me alive. And then that'll take you into this. You're thinking about what that took. You went to the cross for me. And then, like I said, like last Sunday, I was doing this because I was, you know, trying to prepare for today. And even last Sunday, like I underlined the word you because it was like talking to me. So it's personal. And then the you is like your spirit. It's not because then it's like all these thoughts come. Well, my body was alive. He gave me life in 91 when I was born but I didn't get saved till I was 20. So I was alive before I was alive. So he's clearly not talking about my body. He's not talking about my physical heart pumping blood. He's talking about my spirit coming to life. So I say, thank you, God. You... And then that's when 1 Corinthians 6:17. he who's been joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's like, oh, that makes sense. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of my spirit and gave my spirit life and I'm one with him. There's a covenant a marriage with me and God that can't be divorced by the devil that can't be destroyed by the world because what God has joined together, no man can separate. And I'm not strong enough to even separate it. You know what I'm saying? Because who am I to, you know, and there is a will component, but I'm making a point. Like doing that, you get all these other, like connect the dots in the scripture. And then from there, one, you, you start experiencing God's presence. Then God will bring you into to like how he feels about you. And you'll start to understand that. And especially as you meditate through this whole chunk You understand that his motive wasn't just bailing me out because he had to. live. We live with a God who bailed, always bailing us out. Oh, here you go. Bail you out, bail you out, bail you out. We live with a God who is motivated by passionate love to do it. He didn't save me because he had to. He saved me because he wanted to. Right? We live with a God who saved us because he had to. But really, he saved us because he wanted to because of his love for you, for me. And you begin to bring this stuff slow. That's why I always say slow down, slow down, slow down. Some of y'all are trying to read the whole Bible missing God, you know, in your own mind. And that is needed at times because you need to understand doctrine. You need to understand what it says. And you need to be familiar with the scripture. But like you have to have time set apart to God where you're praying through the scripture. Where you're like, God, thank you that you made me alive. Thank you, God, that you gave me life. And then sometimes a word might stick out to you. Then you look that word up, whether in the Greek or in the dictionary, and that word alive, I looked it up. It means to invigorate, to give life. And even in the Greek, the Zoe, the Zoe life that God, the word life means the life that God always intended when he made life. He gave that life to me, eternal life. The life that Adam lost, he restored to me. And then it, literally, it. that's how you find God in the scriptures, for lack of a better word. Does that make sense? You know, and um, the last one is, is, from there, after you, you know, thank God, meditate, that's when you ask him, like, God, help me to live according to this way. Don't let me live according to my old man. Because we know there's a choice we have to make every day, whether we're going to serve our flesh or our spirit. And sometimes serving the flesh isn't just, oh, I'm going to look at this or click that or watch this. It's the way you operate. You know, as some, and again, I'm not telling y'all to not have the filter. I'm not telling y'all to get rid of the quote-unquote training wheels in your life. But I am telling you that if you're 50 and you still got them up, come on now. It's like you're not tapping into grace. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. The grace of God. But a lot of people emphasize the ungodliness part. And they don't emphasize. It's it's his perpetual revealing of himself and his goodness to us. Causes us to be so far from that because we don't want that so much. I forgot I wasn't even talking to the mic anymore. I don't even care. It's like, hopefully y'all can hear me. But like. His grace makes us not want that. And some of us want that because we're not in his grace. Trying to modify your behavior, but deep down you still want that. And if you want that, you're going to do that. There's no amount of counseling, no amount of mentoring, no amount of prayer that I can do for you to change your heart. Only God's presence can change your heart. And if you are not willing or able or aware of even what God has done for you to get you in that place... You're going to, and again, like I said, praise God for the training wheels. Praise God for them. But you're just going to be frustrated your whole life. Some of you guys are so frustrated serving Jesus. You know what I mean? It's not meant to be frustrating to serve Jesus. The reason why it's frustrating is because we have all these man-made things we have in our walk with God that's not God. Like, Christians should be the most joyful, happiest, full of life, radiant people. The reason why we're not is because we're not connecting with Jesus. Because Jesus is the most, rate, like, can you imagine Jesus on earth? Like, how awesome he was? Like, not just beyond the teachings in the, in the, in the Gospels where we, we see how he lived, but just imagine what it was like to be associated with Jesus. Like, physically. Like, how cool, amazing, vibrant, full of life, full of energy, full of passion he was. But it's like he's the same. He's glorified. Like we still have access to that direct Jesus even stronger than those disciples had because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. That's why a lot of us compare ourselves to Peter when he fell. Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. That's why he fell. That's the whole point. He was serving God out of his own flesh. Trying by his strength to serve God. Oh, God, I'll never deny you. Even if they will, I won't. And he did. It's a day later. Because he did it out of his flesh. That's why Jesus, even in Matthew 16, when Peter got the revelation of the Christ, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, indicating that they were seeing him in the flesh the whole time, but my father in heaven. But that was an instant of revelation. That wasn't the Holy Spirit abiding in Peter. It says in John 21, when he rose, he breathed on them and then they received the spirit. And then Peter got restored. And then Acts 2 happened. And then Peter preached. And it doesn't mean he was perfect because Paul still ended up rebuking him at some point for being partial. It doesn't mean you're perfect after you receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit even, but it's making a point. Like Peter wasn't under the new covenant when he denied Jesus. And we're living like that, telling Jesus, oh, I'm never going to sin, I'm never going to deny you again. We're You're just asking for it at that point. No, God, help me to understand who I am in Christ. If you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to understand... I'm not just saved because I go to church. I'm not just saved because I go to T-Buck. I'm not just saved because I do these Christian things. I'm saved because of Jesus. And because my faith is fully in him to finish what he started. My faith is in his death, his resurrection, his blood as a payment for my sin. And my life is his. And I trust that the spirit of God is in me. And how do you know? You know. It's like, it's not meant to be this, this like guessing game with our salvation it's called assurance the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the spirit of adoption who assures our hearts before him and as a result of that we are sure that we're his that's why it says in Romans if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he's not his which means if you have the spirit you're his that's it so again that's the application focus meditate and pray break it up into small phrases and pray them to God starting with thanking him And then asking him to perform it in your life, make you aware of it, you know? That's really the main thing. Even Paul hasn't told him to do anything yet. We have to do from a place of be, not do to be. So many of y'all are just being motivated by people telling you what to do. And we need people, leaders helping us, but not controlling us, not motivating our behavior. We have to be motivated by Jesus, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. That's it. And we have to find life within. So with that said, I wanna pray. And since we do have a little time left before we have to dismiss, after I pray, I wanna set aside, I'm gonna set a five minute timer. And I want each of you guys who are, who are able to stick around because technically we don't get dismissed till 9.30. So we have 14 minutes. I'm gonna say a quick prayer. And then what I want us all to do is I want us to practice this application. I want us to, you don't have to do, and you, he made alive, because you, you can pick one. But I want you to pick a phrase from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I want you to write it down, whether in your journal, on your phone, your laptop, whatever device you write on. And then I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to meditate on that reality. And I want you, and again, you don't, I don't want y'all screaming, thank you, God, thank you, because like, everyone's doing it. But I want you to maybe whisper it to the Lord and thank him for that truth. And ask him to reveal that truth to you in a deeper way. And, you know, pray that over yourself. A promise of who you are in Christ in light of this. Like I said, you can do, and you, he made alive. You could do, thank you, God, you seated me with you in the heavenly places in, G- in Christ. Whatever you want to do, that's all, you can pick through it. So, maybe while I'm praying, you can think of a verse you want to, not even, I don't even want you to do a whole verse, literally like a phrase of a verse that that hit you all right so father we thank you for tonight thank you for this time thank you for every single person here even the people that couldn't make it tonight father any everyone who texts me saying they're sick i pray you heal them in the name of jesus god i also just pray for tomorrow that you would bless this concert but don't let it rain that you just have your way tomorrow and father even just tonight lord for all of us in this ephesians this ephesians you know bible study that we're going through Father, I pray, God, that this would not just be some academic study from a distance, but Father, we would receive spiritual life from this time. Father, that you would help us, Lord, even in this time we set apart, to not just give us an exercise to do for five minutes, but God, give us a means of relating to you in our prayer life, in our time with you. And Father, we want the real thing. Father, we don't want to be to grow up in our, in our American bubble and have training wheels on our Christian life our whole life. Father, we want to be free indeed because it says, Lord, that he who abides in you and you in him, you give us a new heart and that we do those, the righteous desires that you put in us and that the truth sets us free when we abide in your word and we know the truth and the truth makes us free and who the son says free is free indeed. We want that to be our testimony for real. Father, so we thank you. Last thing, God, I'm going to pray is that Galatians 5. It says, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Therefore, we can't be entangled again by another yoke of bondage. Father, may we walk in our liberty as children of God, and may we not, as Paul said, entangle ourselves again under another yoke of bondage. Help us, God, to walk according to the Spirit. And in this time again, God, we ask you to breathe life on us. We love you. Keep us safe when we go home. In Jesus' name, amen.